power and blood, if you would say amen, amen. and amen. Please have a seat. How many people, let me ask this question as you're sitting down. How many people made it out last Friday night to West End? Ooh, was that not astounding, the anointing, the gift God gave us in Dr. Bill Winston? Man, uh, if you did make it out, I would admonish you to go on SoundCloud uh, and retrieve and listen to that message. It was very powerful. You know, he spoke about having faith uh, in the blessing. And absolute faith in the word produces the blessing. And when the blessing comes, it knows exactly what to do. Very powerful word from Bill Winston. Now, God is always fighting and working on our behalf. Would you agree with that? The question is, are we fighting and working on his behalf? The title of my message today, four simple words. I came to serve. I came to serve. Now, we have the best servers of God on our dream teams in all the earth. I can say that they are second to none. But there's always room for more. See, the, you see the same saints serving weekend in and weekend out. Our pastor's heart's desire is that all members and linked up be discipled by either becoming part of a dream team or becoming part of a small group. It is my prayer that after this sermon, uh, we will see a definite increase in our dream team because some will get off the bench and get off the fence and get into the game. Say, I came to serve. Okay, let's get with it. Please turn with me in your Bibles to my foundational scripture. It can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and I'll be reading verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. I will be reading from the King James Version. And it reads, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So here we see God is giving us several commandments. The commandments are not confusing and they certainly are not vague. We often hear the word commandment, but what does commandment actually mean? Well, according to Strong's Concordance in the Hebrew, it means to command, to instruct, and to give direction. It also means to place in order. And we know according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1440, God does everything decently and in, in order. Hallelujah. So where would we be without order in every facet of our lives? What if there was no order in our family, no order in our schools, no order on the jobs, no order in society? I mean, no order anywhere. I believe it would, it would signal chaos to a magnitude that our, our minds cannot even mentally comprehend. Before I went into ministry school, I worked for an international company out of Dallas, Texas. 
uh, and uh, uh, the headquarters was based in Japan. So I had the uh, opportunity to go to Tokyo for two weeks. So when you go to Tokyo, Japan, you fly into a city called Naria, and then you take uh, the subway into Tokyo. So I got out of the subway, and then I took a taxi to my hotel room. What I didn't know when I, before I got to Tokyo is that they drive on the opposite side of the street. So at every stop, at every turn, at every lane change, I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm just cringing. You see, what, what happened basically is that what was order to them was chaos to me. See, order to me had been turned upside down. Now, we know that chaos can steal peace. Chaos is a precursor for every evil work of the enemy. Satan comes to steal peace. God comes to instill peace. See, everything in God's kingdom is predicated on order and on peace. Likewise, Jesus demonstrated order and serving in all that he did. We know from the Gospels, he had a cadence. He would always teach, preach, and heal. Teach, preach, and heal. So scripture admonishes us to be followers, right, or imitators of Christ. Now, we also know from the gospel that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Thank you. He came to serve. So our first inclination should always be to serve. One of the most important things I want you to remember about uh, this sermon today is this. To be Christian is to be Christ-like. To be Christ-like is to be a servant. And to be a servant is to serve. Let me say that again. To be Christian is to be Christ-like. To be Christ-like is to be a servant. To be a servant is to serve. Say, I came... To serve. That was just one of my introductions. Now, let me introduce this message this way also. If you look at the word Christian, and do I have any Christians in here? Hallelujah. If you look at the word Christian, uh, it first was a term that was coined in the city of Antioch. First mentioned in the Bible in Acts 11. And it was meant to be a term of ridicule to belittle, to demean Christians. The citizens of Antioch would say, hey, look at those Christ followers, those Christ-likes, those Christ-likes. So what the enemy means for evil, we know that God has turned to good. It's now a badge of honor to be a Christian. So in my message to follow, and let me say this also, serving is the, is the, is the, the bedrock, the cornerstone of Christianity. You can't have one without the other. Would you agree with that? So there's three points I want to get across to you today. Three points on concerning I came to serve. This is my first point. Serve God with all your heart. Serve God with all your heart. Now we saw in Deuteronomy 10:12, God gave us instructions, commandments that identify to us what his expectations are, right? We know that he exists and he perpetuates in order. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Order, right? Uh, senior pastor, 
uh, first lady co-pastor, then the staff, order. In the family, the father, the mother, the children, order. On your job, hopefully, one boss, right? Order. You can, always, you can only have one head because you can't serve two masters. Anything with two heads is what? Freaky. Right? But Satan is what God is not. Satan is what God is not. Satan is the author of chaos, hate, and disorder. God is the father of peace, love, and order. Okay, so what's the bottom line? Why did God give us those four commandments? To fear the Lord, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Well, he answers that question in the form of a question. If you read verse 13, this is what it says. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Now, if you notice, that's a question mark. Sometimes you read it like it's a period or exclamation point, but it's a question mark. So think about this for a second. God is asking us, asking you and me, don't you know why you should follow my commandments? Hmm? I'm good. I am God. Hmm. Another way of saying it, ain't it obvious to you? You can breathe, that's goodness. You can walk, that's goodness. You can see, that's goodness. As far as I can see from my vantage point, nobody's fallen out of the aisle, so nobody's malnourished in here, that's goodness. Hmm? You're all clothed, you're not naked, trust me, that's goodness. Hmm? And because of Godness, we have his goodness. Now, this fourth commandment, is often not adhered to. To serve with all your heart and all your soul would mean that, well, the fourth commandment encompasses the other three, right? If you serve with all your heart and your soul, that means that you love him, you walk in all his ways, right? And also uh, that you fear the Lord. That word serve, let me give you all. The word all is described by Webster's this way, to be uh, ended, completed to perfect, all, to be ended, completed to perfect. Serve in the Hebrew is a word called abad, A-B-A-D, abad. It means to labor, serve, work in ministry, to be plowed, to be cultivated, and to be worked. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark 10. Let's read a quick story about the rich young ruler. Very familiar. Everybody knows it. I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. And it reads, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? Sounds familiar? There is none good but one, and that is God. So if you notice, Jesus basically asked or answered the question with a question, just like we just read in Deuteronomy 10, 13. He's saying only God is good. Keeping God's commandments are the prerequisites for entering into the life that God desires for us to have here in the earth. That's the blessing that Bill Winston was talking about last Friday night. And not only eternal life with God in heaven, but present day life with God here in the earth. Let's move on. Verse 20. And he answered, and it reads, and he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, 
loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. So Jesus' reply to the rich young ruler and us is basically this. If you will be perfect, if you will have all to be ended, right, completed to perfect, then adhere to commandment number four. Let your possessions go and serve me with all your heart and with all your soul. Renounce the ways of the world in which you love. Renounce the misguided righteousness in which you trust. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In the Greek, the word follow literally means to be a disciple of your leader's teaching. And we have one of the best teachers in the city. So that begs to ask another question. Okay, so then what value does Jesus place on serving? That is a great question. Question. I am so glad you asked, and I have an answer. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, I'll be reading verse, uh, starting in verse 26. And it reads, if any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If, conditional, any man serve me, him will my father honor. Honor means esteem and respect in this uh, particular scripture. So Jesus says, follow, be a disciple of my teaching. Serve, labor, work in ministry. And then he said, I'm with those that serve and labor. Now he tells us that he's with those that serve him. But he doesn't stop there. He says, not only am I with you, but get this, my father will also honor you. Now, that sounds like all cylinders are on and popping to me. You mean to tell me that if I serve and labor and work in ministry, that Jesus will be with me and God will honor me? It's exactly what he's saying. Now, I believe for the believers, I'm going to call that the holy trifecta. Now, what's the holy trifecta? Well, I'm going to tell you what that means in a second. But I'll tell you this. Satan can't stand that holy trifecta. And that's why he tries so hard to get us sidetracked with the clutters of life, with offenses and the rabbit trails that we run down from time to time. Amen? Think about it. Every time you're asked to do something in the church or if you're serving, you're asked to do something additionally, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? All the stuff I got to do. All the personal items that kind of come into play. The Holy Trifecta is this. We know that the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of the believer. So, firstly, the Holy Spirit is working on the inside. Secondly, when we labor, serve, work in ministry, we have the grace of Jesus saturating us on the outside. And then thirdly, we have that honor, the honor, esteem, respect of God going before us as a banner And an emblem. That's the holy trifecta. Hallelujah. Think of it like this. God says you represent me every time you wear that usher and hostess's badge. Every time you put on that dream team outfit, 
you represent me. And every time you give me your labor, I will in turn give you my labor. Every time you stand in the gap and make up the hedge where there's a need in my house, I'll stand in the gap and make up the hedge where there's a need in your house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, do you know how much time, effort, and work it takes for our pastor to partner with the Holy Spirit and to craft multiple messages during any given week? Well, let me tell you from my point of view. This probably is my official six, about my official six, officially six sermon. I'll put that way, my sixth sermon. And I can tell you already from experience that this ain't no joke. <laughs> this water is deep. And I'm still standing in the shallow part of it. Hallelujah. Now, the last time I checked, seeds cannot plant themselves. And I say that because God expects us to be workers because God is a worker. He expects us to get our hands dirty because God gets his hands dirty. He got down in the dust of the earth and he formed man. We know that Jesus gets his hands dirty, right? He's playing in the dirt put some spit on it, slap the blind guy upside his eye, guy can see. <laughs> Jesus is riding in the dirt, looks up and said, him with no sin, cast the first stone. So they both believe in getting their hands dirty. One of the, 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 the highest of all spiritual laws is seed, time, and harvest. Right? So you have to plant a seed and that implies what? Work. Glory to God. And that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm planting seeds. Okay, that clock is getting away from me already. That takes me to point number two. Good servants exhibit a must-do attitude. Say, I came to serve. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now I want to look at the grace and faithfulness uh, and that of being a good soldier. I know we have a lot of military men and women in here, so they probably can, uh, I'm sure they can appreciate this. Verse 1 says this, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Do I have any sons and daughters of the Lord in here? Say it like you believe it. Ah, That's better. Hallelujah. There are three things that we can extrapolate from these scriptures. First, be strong in the grace. Grace in, in the Greek means gift, benefit, favor. All believers are leaders. All believers are endowed with motivational gifts. Be strong in using and exercising The God gift in you. To do what? To serve and glorify him. Secondly, commit to faithful men. Commit what things? Because it says end the things. He's saying commit your serving, your labor, and your work, and your ministry. Did he say commit them to all men? No. He said commit them to faithful men who teach you. 
Now, I don't have to tell you, but you should know that our pastor and our first lady are the faithful men and women uh, that's being referred to. So you honor your pastorship by serving. Not serving any kind of way, but serving with gladness and with premier excellence. The third point I want to extrapolate from that is be a good soldier, which is really saying, or being a good servant. Most people like to fixate on the phrase endure hardship. Well, you can't get to the place of enduring hardship without first being a good soldier. In the Bible, we've given a lot of examples of good soldiers, right? King David was a good soldier, Barak, Joshua, Gideon, Samson. But there are also some present-day good soldiers. Dr. Bill Winston, Apostle Fred Price, Pastor Joel Gregory, good soldiers. Why? Because they were faithful over little, and God made them rulers over much. Pastor Gregory is a living example. He volunteered and served in many different uh, capacities before he actually went into ministry school, came out of ministry school, uh, became a minister and a dean, served in many other chairs, and then became a senior pastor. I remember uh, serving under him in Orlando at one of our churches in Orlando, and uh, it was one hot Saturday morning. And, you know, the, the, there are the ushers and the host, I mean, the, the, all the men, the ushers, and all the other men from all the other helps ministries were doing the landscaping around the exterior of the building. You know, we're digging ditches, basically, pulling up weeds, chopping down trees, doing all that stuff. Pastor Gregory shows up at the beginning, gets out of the car, got his work clothes on, pulls his gloves out of his back pocket, and he's right there with us, elbow to elbow. See, that serving in him is that inclination I talked about in the beginning. It's not a switch that you can easily turn off and turn on. Now, I've seen him in his present-day capacity. And trust me, the, the, the desire on him to serve is greater now than ever. Hallelujah. See, a good soldier is a faithful soldier. And a faithful soldier never questions the wisdom of the commander-in-chief. Is that right, military men and women? See, get this. A faithful soldier does not exhibit a can-do attitude. A faithful soldier exhibits a must-do attitude. I must be faithful. I must be committed. And I must serve. Hallelujah. Minister George Houston is uh, our resident minister that's over our dream teams. He does a phenomenal job. He's always looking for good soldiers. So if you're not serving, you should be hunting him down, running him over, looking for him. See, a good soldier would go to him and say, hey, Minister George, I'm a soldier. I'm a prayer warrior. I'm a worker. Let me get my hands dirty. Please, sir, I am dependable and I am capable I don't need to be pampered, pepped up, picked up, pumped up, primed up. Here I stand. I'm a soldier. I came to serve. Do I have any faithful, committed soldiers in this place? I got a few. Can I get a few more? Hallelujah. 
So let's move on. Verse 4. It reads, No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Please him who? Please God. Because God has chosen us to be soldiers. Verse 5. And if any man also strives for masteries, now Paul is comparing a good soldier to a world-class athlete. Yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Next, in verse 6, the husbandman that laboreth. Now, a good soldier is being compared to a farmer. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Now, if we look back at verse 4, the affairs of this life, those are tools of Satan, and he uses them masterfully. So Paul warns us here that to be a good soldier and to be a good servant, we must be absent-minded to the things of the world and be present-minded to the things of God. Because it's God who who has recruited us and it's God who is enlisting us. See, notice Paul says you can't get the crown, you can't get the victory unless you follow the rules of engagement. The rules of engagement means you have to obey and submit to leadership. Now, those three comparisons I spoke about earlier, I want to kind of highlight them quickly. All right. He makes, Paul makes three comparisons for us Christ-likes to understand and to get it, right? He's showing us how it T.I. is. Firstly, he says, be as a good, faithful, committed soldier. To be one, you have to follow rules. You have to obey. You have to submit. Must have a must-do attitude. Without it, you'll never be promoted onward or upward. Number two, be as a world-class athlete. An athlete can have all the skill, power, know-how, perfect technique, but he'll, he or she will never see victory if they can't follow the rules. Thirdly, be as a crop-harvesting farmer. Now, a farmer can't plant seed any kind of way, right? Not if he wants a bounty for harvest. Remember uh, part of the description for uh, abad, the Hebrew word for serve, right, was to, uh, to, to be plowed, uh, to be cultivated, to work. Well, the farmer's got to plow that ground. He's got to work that ground. He's got to cultivate that ground if he expects a bountiful harvest. He's got to follow the rules of agriculture. Now, what upward movement, what victories, what rewards... What bountiful harvest are you seeking in your life? How can you serve your family, your community, your job, and not serve the Lord? I dare say you can't be Christ-like and not serve in the house of Christ. Now, you can't be Christ-like and serve with eye service. You know, somebody just wants to be seen. That's not being Christ-like. That's Christ-hype. That's what that is. So that begs to ask another question. What are some of the characteristics of a good servant? Turn with me to Ephesians 6. I have an answer for that question as well. Ephesians 6, I'm reading verses 5 through 6. And it reads, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. See, servants, good soldiers are obedient. 
They submit to authority. Submitting to authority is, in effect, submitting to God. Now, there is submission, and there is true submission. Submission is easy as long as everything is, uh, you agree with what the leader is saying and doing. True submission comes in when you disagree with what leadership is doing. And when you disagree with what leadership is doing, let me say it like this. You can't exhibit a can-do attitude. True submission is when you exhibit a must-do attitude. See? When you disagree, nevertheless, you obey You submit, you execute your assignments without pause and without delay. That is true submission. Jesus said it this way, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Nevertheless, not my will, Father, but yours shall be done. See, obedience and submission have symbiotic relationships, which means they are mutually dependent upon each other. In other words, you truly can't have one without the other. The same holds true for a good soldier and serving. You can't have one without the other. See, these dual roles complement each other. Now, symbiotic relationship. Let me give you an example. And I think some of the ladies in here should probably be able to appreciate this. Uh, I mentioned my lovely wife earlier. Uh, When she goes, on the days that she goes to get her hair done, you know, she gets her hair washed and and trimmed and, you know, all that good stuff. When it's fixed to the level of her, her acceptable level of perfection, I know that there is a ritual that I'm going to see that night in the following few nights. (laughs) I've been married to her for a while, so when she comes out that night, I'm already sitting up in the bed because I want to see the show. She comes out of the restroom. When she comes out of the restroom, she comes out. She's standing at attention. Her neck is straight. She has her silk pillow. The silk pillow, the silk pillow cannot go east and west. It's got to go north and south. So then she parades around the bed. When she gets to the end of the bed, She goes to the side of the bed. Now, some of the married men can appreciate this. Then she gives me a look. Now, we all know what the look means. If you're married and you've been there a while, I'm going to tell you that look means three things. One, I just got my hair done. Don't touch me. (laughs) Two, don't make a mistake with your hand and touch my hair when you're sleeping tonight. And three, because you've been trained, There's an imaginary line in the bed. Don't you come to this side. Now, after she looks at me and I look back and I acknowledge that I'm, you know, I got this. I I know what not to do. Then she slowly, gingerly, methodically gets into the bed. Now, this is what I call her, her Torah soldier stance. She sleeps in the bed with her head up like this. Her neck is straight and her hands are to her side. I, I really don't know how she does it. But she's been doing it for years. 
and she never wakes up with a crook in her neck. So what is that, what I'm saying? What I'm saying is this. Every time she gets her hair laid, she's got that ritual. That's that symbiotic relationship. She can't have one without the other. That's obedience and submission. They complement each other. You can't have one without the other. Okay, time is getting away. I was going to take you to Romans 12 and talk about the seven individual motivational gifts. I'll just give this to you for your notes if you're taking notes. Romans 12, verses 6 to 8, talks about the individual motivational gifts. Uh, I won't talk a lot about that. I will say this. The main gift that is the glue or common thread between all the others is the gift of serving. It's called uh, uh, the ministry gift, actually, in verse 7. Serving, you can't have any of the other gifts without that component. See, God places a high priority on service. God says in 1 Peter, cast, throw, pitch all your cares for me, for I careth for you. Jesus said in Luke 4.19, he said he was anointed to preach the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, recovering of sight to the blind, right? To set at liberty them that are bruised, recovering of sight to the blind, and deliver the captives, right? What is that? service. You know, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our standby, our strengthener, our advocate, our intercessor, guide, teacher, and all that. What is that? Service. See, even when we're serving God, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are doing what? They're always serving us. That's that Christian foundation we've been talking about. Hallelujah. Say, I came to serve. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 reads this way. And ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So look at your neighbor and tell them ye is you. See, you are the body of Christ. We are, well, Jesus is the head and we are his body here in the earth, the church. And who makes up the church? We all do. Verse 28, I'm going to quickly read that. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. There's no order there. That's just for sin and structure purposes. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings. Here it goes. Helps governments, diversities of tongues. So as you can see for yourself, God said helps in the church, which is our our dream team. Helps, H-E-L-P-S, having enough loving people serve. The final word is what? Serve. When I was telling you about my... uh, being a department head in Orlando, uh, I was over the usher and hostesses. So we'd always meet and pray before the service. We'd get in our huddles. And the last thing we would say is, we are the world-class keepers of the house. And we said it with pride because we took pride in serving, serving our leadership, serving God, serving each other. So we also recruited people like I'm doing today, recruited people to serve in our ministry, right? So it got to the point where people would see me coming, they just start running, just take off. And a lot of times I can only get one word in and I would say, serve. And sometimes all it takes is one word, that final word, to serve. Also, if you notice, The Bible tells us that the harvest is plenty and laborers are few. So I pray you the Lord of harvest that he will send laborers into his harvest. He created helps, and he created helps to be a provision. See, you see, you that serve and you that will sign up to serve today, 
after this message. You are God's very own answer to prayers. See, God has graced you and bestowed upon you the motivational gifts I was talking about earlier quickly, but to be used in helps. To be used in the dream team. See, helps, and you can see it in verse 28, is, is, is just as important as healing and miracles. They're all within the same line, right? So think about this. When you're serving, you're just as important as Moses parting the Red Sea. When you're serving, you're just as important as Elijah parting the River Jordan. When you're serving, you're just as important as blind Bartimaeus. And when you're serving, you're just as important as Lazarus being raised from the dead. See, you are a supernatural worker doing a supernatural work in a supernatural ministry. Hallelujah. Ooh, that clock is getting away. So point three, third base. God will defend your right to serve. God will defend your right to serve. Uh, I'm going to go quickly give you this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 24. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 24. I'm going to kind of sum it all up real quickly. The Apostle Paul is giving a personal testimony to the Corinthians. And what he's doing is he's defending his ministry and he's defending the right to serve. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 to 24. Okay, you guys are looking like you didn't get that. All right, so all of God's promises are rooted and grounded in truth. We know his yeas mean yea and his nay means nay. Now, his promises must be fulfilled, right? And he uses us as uh, the hands and the feet to fulfill his promise. See, God feels great joy every time a person gets off the bench, off the fence, and gets into the game, huh? The game of serving. He says, cha-ching, another promise fulfilled. I got another usher. I got another hostess. Cha-ching, another promise fulfilled. Somebody just joined the children's work ministry. Cha-ching, another promise fulfilled. I got a new brother out in the parking lot. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. See, it's God's desire that every believer puts his hand to the plow and does not look back. We were created and made to do what? Worship God. Serving God is a form of worship. See, Paul really was saying it this way. I'm a supernatural worker. I'm doing a supernatural work. I have a supernatural ministry. God, I am yours to command. How effective could the church be if all hands were on deck and actively engaged in supporting the Great Commission? So this message is not meant to condemn Uh, But we know the word of God tells us in Jeremiah that it's a hammer to convict and a fire to refine. So hopefully there's going to be some convicting and some refining up in here. Quickly, Nehemiah chapter 4. This is my last uh, couple of scriptures. Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's talk about Nehemiah and the building of Jerusalem very quickly. Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 1. I'm going to read it quickly. But it came to pass that when Sambalot heard that we built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Verse 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build is a fox. If a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. So what was happening here? See, Sambalot and Tobiah were ridiculing, speaking against the work of the Lord, the building of the wall of Jerusalem. 
They were wroth with indignation, right? There was scorn, discouragement, uh, imitation. There was try, imit, in, intimidation. They were trying to prevent the work from going forward. You know, they were haters and criticizers. Does anybody have any haters or criticizers in here? Well, then that's a good thing. Because that means that you're doing something. Haters don't hate unless you're making an impact. Hmm? But the question is this. Are you making an impact for Jesus? Or are you just making an impact for us? Jesus and well, God is building a wall. And he is in need of solid, in need of solid, capable, dependable workers who say, Pastor, I came to serve. It says in verse 6 that people had a mind to work. So Nehemiah paid no attention to the, the haters and the critiquers. He said, our duty to God, our service to the master, our work to the kingdom is much more important. So what to the entanglements of this world? So what to all the stuff that would keep me from serving? So what to all the rabbit trails that the enemy throws at me? I have a mind to work because I came to serve. No significant accomplishment, whether in your family, in your church, on your job, will ever be achieved until all come together with a mind to work. All in unity and all on one accord. The mind is a terrible thing to waste. Verse 20, it reads this way. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. Like God, their leader, Nehemiah, our leader, Pastor Gregory, all speak encouragement. They're focusing, they're saying to us, Focus on the work at hand and let God fight our battles. What battles? The battles of discouragement. The battles of offense. The battles of fatigue. The battles of I don't feel like I want to serve. You'll find out if you continue to read later in the chapter that they worked on the wall for 52 days straight without even changing clothes. See, Nehemiah was an effective leader because he followed after God. He knew how to submit to authority. He went from being a dishwasher to being a leader of men, used of God. God is no respecter of persons. If he did it for Nehemiah, if he did it for Bill Winston, if he's doing it for Fred Price, if he's doing it for Joe Gregory, he can do it for us. Hallelujah. So let me land this plane real quick because I'm out of time. Let me bring this message to a close. Let me leave you with a challenge. Some of these words were inspired, well, these words were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Some are from me and some are from this famous theologian. The challenge reads this way. I am a soldier, a prayer warrior, a worker. I came to serve. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible gives me my rules of engagement, faith. Prayer and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army, and I am enlisted to serve for eternity. I will not get out, I will not sell out, and I won't be talked out. 
I am a servant. I am faithful. I am committed. And I am excited. I will be on my post. I will be in my position. I will be prayed up and I will be prepared. If my pastor and my first lady needs me, I am there. They can count on me. I am a soldier. I came to serve. I am not a baby. I don't need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. No one has to call me, write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. I am a prayer warrior. I came to serve. I am not a wimp. I am in place, saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, cards, food, candy, or give me handouts. I don't need to be cuddled, cared for, or catered to. I am a worker. I came to work. I will not let offense turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to make me quit. Devils cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot refrain me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I am a prayer. I am a soldier, a prayer warrior, a worker. I came to serve. I would not give up and I would not turn around. I will serve with excellence, not with an attitude, but with joy and gratitude. Hallelujah. 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 So God is asking right now, what about you? Is there any that will stand with me? Is there any that will work with me? Is there any that will serve with me? God is saying, be, be like Nehemiah and his crew. Have a mind to work. Be like the Apostle Paul. God, I am yours to command. And finally, he said, be like Jesus. He came not to be served. He came to serve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I sure hope you got something out of this word today. I had more to give you, but I ran out of time. 